In an archipelago of tens of thousands of islands, there is one that stands out. I'm talking about Bali, Indonesia's most beguiling holiday destination. It's a place known as the Island of the Gods, beloved by backpackers and luxury lovers alike, who rave about its beaches, its verdant rice paddies, and its wonderfully welcoming people. Bali, they say, is heaven on earth. Or is it? For every person who sings the island's praises, there is another who tells you, you're too late. Bali was once heaven, they say, but it's been ruined by too many travellers, too much traffic, too many tragic nightclubs. So what's the real story? To find out, I'm joined by someone who knows Bali better than most. Bill Bensley is a hospitality industry legend known for designing many of Asia's most indulgent resorts, including some in Bali. One of his studios is based on the island. We're sitting in it right now at the moment and it's pretty spectacular, surrounded by trees and waterfalls and statues with marigold garlands. <laughs> so, <laughs> Bill's been coming to Bali for more than three decades and he's here to tell us a bit about it. Bill, thank you for being here today. Well, you're welcome. So one of the things you're known for is using design to tell the story of a place. So in the 30 odd years you've been working in hotels in Bali, has the story that you're telling changed? Of course, yeah, they get more, more and more um, interesting and more and complex and more layered as we, as, we, as we move through. I remember in 1984 when I, my very, very first project was at the Bali Hyatt. And I worked with a famous Australian named Michael White or Mari Wijaya. You know him? Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you ever meet him? No, I know the work. Okay, you know his work. So I worked with him, um, uh, and like with everybody else that he ever encountered, we fell out after about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, I did have the the uh, the honor to work with a very creative person, and I, I did I, I made a, uh, a a swimming pool for the Bali Hyatt on Sanor. And it was based on a, an interpretation of what they call the Goa Ganja. What's the Goa Ganja? Uh -huh, the Goa Ganja, not Ganja, that's a different thing. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter, Dea. As a, we, don't, we don't smoke dope in this part of the world, you know. Uh, it's the Goa Ganja. Goa is, is cave and Ganja is elephant. So it's the elephant cave. And that was some, a, um, a temple, a very animistic temple that was built something like the year 900 in close to Ubud anyways mm -hmm. and we did a, an, an interpretation of that where we sank the cave into a swimming pool and you could swim through it and, and that and it was it was it became very popular very quickly wow that sounds pretty amazing yeah so is that one of the first things that struck you about Bali when you got here the strong Hindu culture the strong, the strong Hindu culture, but also the strong animistic culture. Okay, so they weave mm -hmm. together, or they, they exist very side much by so, side? very much part, and very much part. In fact, I would say that, that the Bali culture is more animistic in its culture and practices today than actually it is Hindu. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And so, and that what that's what really truly makes it unique. And it's, I mean. You know, you've, I can see you've got little niches here and, and statues. And is it something that is accessible to visitors to, to the country? Can you, if you're here for a holiday, can you sort of experience that side of Bali as well? Well, I think that that's the, the real shame is that, you know, again, 99% of the people that come here don't. 
And yeah, absolutely, yes, it's accessible. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of temples and 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 wantilans and places of, of meetings and um, and villages that are off the beaten track, but people don't get there because that's not where the bus driver's taking you. So how do you explore Bali? Because it's it's bigger than people think it is. It's huge. Um, I. Uh, in the 80s, I explored much of Bali on foot. On foot? Uh-huh. And I would, I would um, just get out, of the, get out of the car, have someone drop me out, take a BMO. Uh -huh. BMO was in a little bus. Uh-huh. And take a BMO up, to, up into the hills and, you know, like in Payangan, something like that. And I'd get out, of the, get out, get out, and I'd have a little backpack. And I'd just start walking. And by the end of the day, I probably had 20, 30, 40 offers to go and stay at somebody's house. Really? Right? You just walk along because one of the first things I did in the early 80s is that I was living in Singapore at the time and I, went, I took Malay classes mm -hmm. uh, and I carried with me a stack of, of um, uh, flashcards and I wrote English on one side and then Malay on the other side. And of course that translates pretty well to Indonesian. So I, by the time it was 1985, 1986, I was pretty much fluent in Indonesian. And then I was also picking up the Balinese language as well. So no matter where I walked, you know, if I said a few words in Balinese, I could always make people laugh. <laughs> and everybody would say, come and stay at my house. And I did. Yeah, and I did. And, uh, and I would have a sarong with me and an udak, the and I would be invited to temple ceremonies, and be, I was just became really much, very much a Baliophile. So, what are your most vivid memories of that time? What sort of things really made an impression on you when you were first exploring Bali? Um, you know, I have. I, I'll show show you a bit later. I have uh, the same car that I, I bought in 1984. <laughs> I have the same VW, right? And I, it's been, it's gone through numerous renovations and so forth but I used to I used to drive that to all sorts of places and it would overheat and sometimes it wouldn't start uh, because it was too hot or something so we let it cool down and while well, you pull off to the side of the road and you pull off you let it cool down and then people would start to gather like oh we don't have enough energy for this car to go and so I would say to everyone, hey, I think we just need a push. And within about five minutes, I had 15 guys pushing me to get the car started, <laughs> right? There was such a sense of community, right? That, that, and I thought, and then, you know, bye-bye, bye-bye, boom, 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 and off I'd go, and off I'd go again. And then I'd, I'd go across, we'd go across to, um, go across to drive from here, from Sanur up to Bal, up to Ubud, up to Sayan. There was nothing but dirt roads. And some of those roads was only a single lane. And I remember coming back at about nine o'clock at night and seeing this, seeing this big white strip across the road. And there's farmers on one side and farmers on the other side. And I just pulled up and stopped. There was no traffic at that time. And I got out of the car and said, and he said, it's a, well, I said, what is it? And he said, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a snake. And I said, oh, okay, cool. But he said, you know, don't bother it. It's, 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 
it was a snake that was, must have been six meters long. Whoa. Or the head this side and the tail this side. I couldn't see the head, couldn't see the tail. Whoa. Right? And uh, what's the type that... that uh, the the strangle you? Yeah, what's that? Boa constrictors, yes, yeah. Yes, boa, yeah. And do pythons as well? Uh, this, is a, this is a python. Okay, this is a python. And, uh, and it was so cool to understand the farmer's idea that, that this wild animal, this wildlife, this wildlife had more, more authority to be in this place than they did. Mm -hmm. So everyone just sat on their haunches, as did I, and waited for the, for the, for the, for the snake to move on. And I thought that was just so lovely. That is a really lovely attitude, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that just, just great? Uh, that stuck with me the entire life is that these people, you know, really are attuned with their surroundings. And see themselves as part of it, and not on top of it. of it. Right. It's part of it. It's, they're, just, they're just part of the layering. So what you're describing sounds amazing and magical and immersive, but that was 30 years ago. Is, is, does that barley still exist or is of it now? Of course it does. Of course it does. Yeah, it does. Absolutely it does. Um, the Bali exists, in, uh, but you just have to look and scratch deeper for it. Like I said, it's not those places that the bus, that the bus driver stops. It's, uh -huh. not, it's not in the south. It's in the north. It's in the east. It's in, certainly in the west. Um, one of the most beautiful things, I think, and unique things about Bali that still exists today that very few very, very few guests understand is that Mount Agung is in the middle of the island, okay, and that's and where it erupts. And yes, people are familiar with that now because it blows its top and flights are grounded and everyone goes, Mount Agung. <sighs> right, okay. But Agung is m way more than that, uh -huh. is that Agung is the, is the center, the spiritual center of Bali. And, and by the way, Bali is the spiritual center of the earth. Okay, and I, I'll come back to that. But um, the Balinese have a very different way of, of talking about direction. They don't say north, south, east, west. Oh. Uh -huh. They say Kajaklod Kayan Kao, which means towards Mount Agung, away from Mount Agung, to the left of Mount Agung, and to the right of Mount Agung. Really? Once again, going back to this assimilation and you're really part of nature. Yeah. Right? So that if Agung is the most holy, then all of the beaches and all of the coastline is the least holy. So that's why you find all the kaburan, all the, all the, the, the graveyards and so forth, closest to the ocean. Ah, uh -huh. and that's where you find all the half-naked foreigners too, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they've put us in our place. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. So. I, so this, this one principle applies to everywhere, even today, applies to every, every single village. And for example... Okay, I'm giving you a pen because you're sketching because uh -huh. that's what you do. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay, so if this is Agung here, uh, that there's all sorts of, ra all over the island, there's all sorts of radiating roads okay. that does that. And this is the island here, for example. And that no matter where you go on on, on any of these roads, if you go to a village, uh -huh. that every village will have three different temples. And that temple 
is organized by the closest one to Argonne, the farthest one from Argonne, and the middle one from Argonne. And they serve different purposes? And they do. This is the temple, the Puradalam, this is the temple for the dead. That's the one that's furthest from Mount Argonne. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this is where um, um, cremations would be held, etc., etc. This temple, because closest, this is for the high spirits. And this temple here is for man. Wow. So that, okay, and so any tourist today can understand that and, and go and visit these temples and understand. Now, I'm also going to draw for you. <laughs> I'm also going to draw. I'm going You're to taking to, every single piece of paper I've got <laughs> here, Bill. <laughs> I'm also, if this is how going again, okay, then I'm going to draw a, 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 a courtyard. A typical courtyard of where Balinese would live. Okay. Okay. Now, let's say, for example, that you come in the, the streets here. This is this is the front gate. Okay. Every single every single house that the Balinese lives in is not like a Western house, but it has many components, many pieces. For example, the one that the one house where Grandma and Grandpa sleeps is going to be closest to Agum because they're the most holy. Oh. Uh -huh. the, one, the one house where mom and dad sleeps is a little bit farther away. Mm -hmm. The one house where the virgin daughter lives that has no windows, by the way. So no one can get in or out. In or out <laughs> is close to mom and dad. I tell you, I can see that taking off into the Western world. <laughs> <laughs> then, then, then the, the dapur, the kitchen, is, is because that's where things are made and that's where dirty things are, 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 are sometimes waste and so mm -hmm. forth thrown away. That becomes farther away. Ah. Okay? The, boys the boys' place that they, that they share is closer to the dapur. Mm -hmm. okay? And then a communal place in here, this is called the balibangung, is a, is, a, is a high platform where everyone will gather in the evening. The balibangung, that's where work is done. Right. And then over here in every single house, that's where the pigs are kept. And that's about as far away from Mount Agulna as you can get in that little exactly. corner. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Okay. So now going to a, a sm even smaller scale. Okay. Okay. So that every house, uh -huh, every, every Balinese house is, is, is something like this. I'm drawing a, a picture of a Balinese house. Okay, and is up on a plinth like that. And it used to be, everything was made with alang alang, a, a grass roof. Okay. okay. We have one on the top there. And then we would have a column, a Balinese column. Now a Balinese column, it, the base of it, we call sendi. Mm -hmm. And that is representative of, the, again, the low, the low spirit. Right. Every Balinese column, I'm going to take you, I mean, you can take a picture of this. Every Balinese column is made out of three parts. One, two, and three. And once again, this is the lowly part. This is man, and that's the heavenly spirit. Wow. So every single part of Balinese architecture also refers back to this, this idea that there are, that there are, Three, three main, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but not, but it's more the black. See, this is the polang out here. It's yeah. a black and white, the, the very famous black and white. So we have a black, a we've got a white, cloth. and we've got a gray. 
Ah, right, right, right. right. So black. So the, the, again, there's three colors in there. Right. So even today, right, while you're driving past McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken and Basket Robins, all of this exists. You just have to look for it. That's pretty amazing. And there's also a rich um, calendar of festivals in Bali. Now, I've never been here for a Balinese festival. Do you have one that's your favorite? Um, you know, again, last, you know, last night was the, was the festival was of the Bulan Parama, yeah? The Parama, the full moon, yeah. And again, uh, I, I, you know, I have my friend, Shanique picks me up at the airport and I said, oh, okay, what you doing tonight? And said, well, don't you know it's, it's the full moon? And I thought, you know, I, yeah, there's a moon above us, <laughs> and I should know that it's a full moon. But as 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 we are, we're not attuned to our natural surroundings like the Balinese are. But that's very much part of their life. They know exactly when full moon's going to be mm -hmm. because they're so attuned. And, and this is even when they're driving, you know, their 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 um, VWs. Even mm -hmm. when they're driving their their Toyotas, they know that that this. So Even when they're spending their day working in a surf shop or in a massage parlor, they know it's full moon. Right, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, my, my favorite is a, is, a, is a festival called Sipi. What's that? And that is um, not a festival. It's a non-festival. And that is when the gods fly over Bali. Uh, the, 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 high, the high spirits fly over Bali and they're looking for troublemakers. Mm -hmm. So this is when every good Balinese will stay at home and not go to work. This is when the entire Bali shuts down. Uh -huh. And, it, and it's, it's the quiet day. Ah, the day of silence. The day of silence. And we're not allowed to use any lights. We're not allowed to go outside. We, can't, we have to be as quiet as possible and not bring attention to ourselves because we don't want to be seen as a troublemaker. And doesn't that just on a practical level, isn't that a nice change? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Today, not about me. Yeah. So we just get, everyone just stays quiet and be at home. That would be a really interesting thing to experience. Yeah. Yeah. Spee is wonderful. Yeah. How do you speak? That sounds lovely. So, so Bill, talking to you, I can tell how much you love this place and it's gotten under your skin. So tell me how that's come through in, say, the latest project you did here, which was Capella Ubud. How does that reflect how you feel about the island and what's the conception and how did you do it? Well, the, you know, I, I'm, I very much love history. Mm -hmm. And uh, and like most most Baliophiles, they, they prefer the Bali of old than the Bali of new. Um, so I, I took this Capella Ubud back, what is it, back about 400 years, and I said, what if we were to build, in a tongue-in-cheek fashion, um, a hotel that sort of mimics one of the Dutch invasions that happened in Bali. There was four major Dutch invasions that happened in the 17th century. And because they were, they were already taking part, taking place in, um, they already set up camp, their camp called Batavia, now Jakarta. Mm -hmm. 
and they were they were had the idea that they were going to bring Balinese slaves back to back to they were still picking up slaves and the Balinese were considered a very strong very hardy race and a very handsome race so that to have a Balinese slave was a very high status because they were great not many people you didn't know that did you I did not know that Bali, Balinese slaves were the slave of choice for the discerning Dutch slave owner. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and so the, the, the Dutch would come with their cannons and they would come with their guns. But the Balinese were so tenacious about um, and unrelenting about not having anybody come and to take over their island. They didn't want anything. The Pupuan is a good example where the thousands of Balinese um, committed harikari. But that's another story. Um, so they would make these bamboo spears and something like six meters long. Whoa. And they would come in droves of hundreds and hundreds of people to, to armed soldiers of, of you know, a troop of maybe 60, 70 Dutch that had cannons and, and guns. And they thwarted all four times that they came in the 17th century. They pushed oh, them down. With spears against cannons? Yes. That's extraordinary. Yeah, just from all sides. Yeah. Huh? And so I, I thought, well, what a great story to tell. Um, although it's, it's a little bit macabre in today's world, but it's still part of, real part of history. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, let's do a tongue-in-cheek um, tenant camp that represents all of the, all the elements that the Dutch may have brought with them. So I dedicated the, dedicated the, um, so I, I uh, not dedicated, I themed each one of the, the tents according to what may have happened in that Dutch camp. So they, they must have had a bakery. They must have had a map maker. They must have had an armory, et cetera, et cetera. All the parts of it would have traveled with them. And so that's that, th those different tents you can stay in. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, have you been there? Not yet, no. Okay, you need to go have a look. And it's, you chose to do it as a tented camp. Mm -hmm. Why was that? Well, because the Dutch would have brought their tents with them. Ah, okay, In the 17th right. century. So this is the whole idea is about trying to figure out what they would have what been, that experience what that experience been. would have been. And, and, and we're going for a walk right now. Oh, oh, I oh can't sorry. walk as fast oh, as you build. Oh, I, I forgot. We're tied <laughs> together by microphones. <laughs> I've never done a walking podcast recording before. This is fantastic. <laughs> okay, come around this side. All right, walking around this side of the huge table. Um, <laughs> so what about, one of the things I love about your hotels is the furniture always rocks. Where uh -huh. do you so? And I've seen photos of Capella Ulbert. Where did you find some of that fantastic furniture? Well, the, one of the main, one of the one of my main uh, principles of sustainability, I think, is is upcycling. Mm -hmm. And I am clearly a shopaholic. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things to do. And and I want to teach by. And I want to teach the world that when you build a brand new hotel, everything inside of it does not have to be brand new. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's better if you can find 
uh, unloved objects, re renovate them, and, and make them and adopt them as part of your of your uh, of part of your genre. So that's what we did. Is that I scoured for eighteen months all the junk shops in in Solo and Java and Jakarta, uh, Jogjakarta, Samarang, Surabaya, and here here in Bali, and and. It was great because my owner, Suito, he loves that stuff too. So we got along like, you know, peas in a pod. And what sort of stuff did you find in there? I, I can't like, imagine what's in a junk shop in Bali. Like, um, you know, 100 year old cast iron beds. Really? Right. So that, and now 100 <laughs> years ago, they didn't have king size. Yeah. Right. So we would have, we took cast iron beds, you know, four poster beds, and we enlarged them. Right. So we, so we modified a lot of antiques. Um, for example, oh, and then we found these beautiful um, Maduranese um, chicken coops that were round so that you can, you can pull them around anywhere on the lawn that you want the chicken to be. Okay, and what, are they, what are they made of? Um, they were made in, in the old times in bamboo and wood. But okay. they were very ornately carved. So what I did is I took those, turned them upside down, line them with batiks and use them as lamps. Oh, how lovely. Right. And they're, they're just the most incredible lamps, but they're chicken cages. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, this is something that strikes me as very Balinese, the attention to detail, arts and crafts. Are, you make things that are utilitarian, but also beautiful. Right, right. One of my favorite objects in the, in the entire Capella Ubud is a as a little tiny stool that a a tobacco farmer made a hundred years ago, and he made on top of that as a, a table, uh, and but he carved instead of the, the table, or the stool rather is an elephant, and the and the the table itself is two deers coming together, back to back. Oh. Uh huh. And this is a stool. And this is a stool where he would cut cut the tobacco, and there's a uh, off the back of the deer. There's a hole in it, like something like that, that the rough tobacco would come through, and then he would cut it so that into into slices in order to be able to make cigarettes. Wow. But the so that and I bought it. I don't know for eighty dollars or something. This hundred year old, and it's multicolored, and I so I, I put that on the main display in, in the toy maker's tent. Right. Oh, how lovely. Yeah. Oh, and we've got people getting ready to do some <laughs> temple dancing there. <laughs> the the Ketchak dance is coming. Yeah, coming soon. Yeah. So there are junk stores around where, where you can go find this stuff. This makes me want to ditch the boutiques of Semenyak and go to a totally different kind of shopping. Um, in fact, all, all throughout Changu, uh, Changu and, uh, and Krobokan, okay. uh, there are some really good junk shops in there. In fact, last week I had for the first time ever a designer weekend where, where the, the hotel um, advertised a design weekend with Bill Bensley. Mm -hmm. So what I, I took our guests um, to the NECA Museum, I took them sketching. I, in the morning we took them running, because that's what I like to do. And then we... You had me all the way up to the running, but anyway. <laughs> And then I took them here to the office, yeah. uh, and we did a Ketchak dance for them, and I, I performed in that. And then after that, then we went up down to 
to the, all the junk shops, the really dirty shops. Oh, you got to go to the dirty ones. You got to go to the dirty ones. Yeah, there's nothing. You'll never find anything good in any of the fancy boutiques that are air conditioned. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to get dirty. You got to get sweaty. You oh, gotta you got to get really nasty, dirty. Yeah. <laughs> and do you haggle or not? Oh gosh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Gosh, yeah. Dirty, sweaty, haggly. A haggly, but um, in in a lot of the places now that I go, go so frequently that and, and they they change the they change their what the, their product mm -hmm. very quickly. Um, I've developed a rapport, so I just say that that and that, uh -huh, and then. And the, they the go, that's nice Mr. Binsley, here yeah, you go. <laughs> yeah, the prices are, he knows what the prices are going to be and whatnot. When I, buy, when I buy a chair for $100, I give it to my client for $100. So my clients really like that. They like the... Uh, yeah, I bet your clients are very, very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because then by, by not having an ulterior motive in my shopping madness, yeah. That then that becomes clear that he's doing that as a service to us. Yeah, that's that's why. So you just mentioned a museum, the Neka Museum. I don't mm -hmm. know about that one. Tell me about that. The Neka Museum in in Ubud is one of my favorites because it has all of my favorite artists and those that I collect. I've been collecting now for many years artists like Rudolf Bonnet, who first came to Bali in the 1920s, mm -hmm. um, and really taught the Balinese how to paint and how oh. to draw. Because previous to, say, Walter Spies and, and Rudolf Bonnet, uh, previous to that, the Balinese were, had their own particular style called the Kamasan. And they had four different basic colors. Uh, black, white of the white of the, of the cloth, uh, mustard, and a, a reddish brown. Mm -hmm. And they would do uh, two-dimensional um, calendars and two-dimensional um, illustrations of things like the Ramayana. Yeah, which is the great Hindu epic, which is the thing that is illustrated over and over again. Right, right, exactly. Um, so when the, the guys like Rudolf Bonnet and, and Walter Spies came and opened the door to Western art, the Balinese uh, cottoned onto that in a real great fashion. And, it, and they, they took that idea and mixed it with their own um, sense of place and created this wonderful art that we know today, which is a, still available very much today. In fact, in, in Kaliki, where Capella Ubud is, mm -hmm. there's a school of art just around the corner. And that's where we got these huge, huge Kamasan paintings painted for our restaurant there. So, and then they're working today uh, on many things, and as a tourist today, you can go and pick things up for incredible. Also, oh, you can fires. go visit the School of Art. Yeah, you can go visit the School of Art. So this is a, so. I guess what you're saying overall is, when you're in Bali, get out into the countryside, mm -hmm. walk, walk, try and find what's happening in the local art scene wherever mm -hmm. you happen to be. And I mean, Ubud is obviously a great place for that. Mm -hmm. Any other tips? Go into dirty, unair-conditioned junk shops and haggle your heart out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's, that's, you know, to the junk shops is not for everybody yet because you've got to, you know, fill up a container to make sense. But, um, uh, but my main, my main uh, suggestion is to get out of the south, get to the airport 
and drive to the north, drive to the east, drive to the west, but get out of the south. Don't do anything south of Ubud. You, you once told me that when you get to Bali, you get in the car, you shut your eyes yeah. <laughs> and, until you're, you're past right. a long way out. Right. And then, then, you know, the traffic starts to calm down and the, and, and the, and you can actually see rice fields still, mm -hmm. right? And with the little shrines in them or, the or by the side of them. By the side of them. Yeah. Those shrines, they're dedicated to Dewi Sri. And Dewi Sri is the rice god. And again, going back to animism. Now, one of the things, one of the, you know, and I, I'm an architect, so one of the, one of the projects that we're constantly, we're constantly doing projects here, but one of the really interesting projects is I'm doing a project in the Bukit, which is in the south, and it's right next to the Bulgari Hotel. <laughs> okay, so that's going against everything you've been telling us to do. That but. Exactly, but <laughs> this is a client that's paying me lots of money in order to do this hotel. So, fair enough, I've got to build a hotel. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? Where do we go? What I want to do is to be able to, to build a, um, what I want to be able to do is to build a hotel that tells again tourists and visitors here something different about the Balinese people that they don't know. Mm -hmm. So in, in, I'm going to build a hotel based on the idea of animism. Oh. Yeah. Strictly animism. So, so I want to take everything that the guest sees before mm -hmm. the Indianization mm -hmm. happens, before the Indianization. So of what's Bali. that eighth or ninth century eight, something? Eight, exactly right. That uh, so and before that, and this is a wonderful place where these cliffs are because we know that in those caves, that's where we see the first evidence of the Balinese occupying in something like the year 400. We figure, uh -huh. uh, or or maybe even earlier than that, that we know that that the people occupied. So that there was. 400, we know at least 400 years of developed animism before the Hindus came, mm -hmm. right? So that's what, that's what this whole entire hotel is, because that's what I think, that's what you said earlier, that's what I think is the real heart of Balinese culture. Because that's, remember the guy that just came in here to the room with the Sanjan, yeah. right? That's very much an animistic act. That has nothing to do with Hinduism. So, and that's, so he just put some offerings in there? Is that put what he did? Put some offerings, yeah. This was when we were running around with our microphones attached, trying to shut doors. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's also put the sajan, the offerings down on the ground to appease the ground gods. This is the, this is the temple for the, for the humans. Right. right. And then behind here, we have a pura, another pura for the high spirits. Okay, so Matt and Gogni is then in that direction. Exactly. You got it. So it really is. It's part of everyday life, even here in this stunning but modern studio that deals with clients all over the world. Right. We've got little offerings going on. Right. Very important offerings, yeah. Yeah. And that and even on my car. Because I'm gonna drive my car today. In your crappy old VW. In my in my in my great old VW, my convertible, that before I get in it the the there'll be a sergeant offered to the to the spirits of my car. Bill, what you've just done is made me fall in love with Bali all over again. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and I great. Love, I was I was actually going to toss the question at you, saying that so many people think Bali has been ruined by tourism, and how do you feel about your role in tourism? And it's but it's clear that you're trying to put travellers in touch with the other side of Bali. Right, right. 
I get, I, you know, I, to be honest, I get just as frustrated as everyone else with the traffic and the horrible corruption that happens at the airport. And, you know, I, 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 uh, I get really upset, but then, you know, when you're here for a few days and you understand in a very deep way what is Bali and what, you know, what you can still see what Miguel Covarrubia said, who's the, owner, the, the writer of the Island of Bali, which everyone should read before they come to Bali. The Island of Bali by Miguel Covarrubias. Um, those, everything that he wrote about in the 30s, he was a Mexican anthropologist, everything that he wrote about in the 30s still exists today. You just have to look deeper. And isn't that a fantastic philosophy for life? Yeah. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time You're today. You're welcome, sure. It's, it's been great to have you talking to us about Bali. And thank you for listening. Go online, have a look at some of Bill Bensley's hotels because they're absolute wonderlands and everything in them tells a story. Um, if you'd like to hear more podcasts, you can download I Know This Place at all your usual spots or on my website, utiyonka.com.au. That's U-T-E-J-U-N-K-E-R. And I look forward to catching you next time on I Know This Place. <laughs>